The Perfect Storm. I don't know if you saw that movie or not. It was based loosely on a uh, book which is based on a true story about the fishing vessel, the Andrea Gale. In 1991, there was a confluence uh, bringing together of all the perfect elements that would bring together one of the uh, mightiest storms out in the off the coast of the North Atlantic that we had seen in ages. Uh, it wasn't necessarily perfect in the sense that it was ideal. It was perfect because all the elements came together to cause this to happen. Um, Hurricane Grace had moved across the Atlantic at 90 mi- or 80 miles an hour, and she would have hit the Carolinas, except the problem was there was another uh, front that came down out of the north that actually pushed it back out into the Atlantic, and it went on up the coast, off the coast of New England. And um, the boat, Andrea Gale, would have long since returned to the port of Gloucester, Massachusetts, except uh, that the fact that the captain needed the money because he'd had a, four, a poor fishing season, and he needed some money, so he decided to go out for one more fishing run. And for whatever reason, he failed to report his location. And all those elements came together in this perfect combination that resulted eventually in the death of the captain, his whole crew, and the loss of the ship. They never found it. And... Um, that's why it's called the perfect storm. Now, you don't have to live off the coast of New England to experience a perfect storm in your life, do you? Um, many of you have lived through the perfect storm. Maybe you're in it right now. The combination of factors that all come together at once, maybe one or two things individually would be things that you could deal with. But when they come together, they're formidable. Uh, things like a layoff. And at the same time you are laid off, there's a recession. Or, or like a job dismissal and a sick spouse at the same time. Or, or a college rejection and the boyfriend breakup all on the same day. Uh, those types of things together cause you to have all kinds of problems in life. It's one thing to handle one or two or three things. But to put them all together, you find yourself in the perfect storm. And you may not be in one today, but we've all been around long enough to understand this one thing. Uh, they happen. They happen in life. And um, if you're in one or have been in one or you're going to be in one, I have some good news for you today because of this. I believe in Scripture it tells us today the story we're going to look at tells us this. For the person that is in Christ, that placed their faith in him, uh, you will survive the storm. And I base my encouragement on one of the greatest storm stories in all of literature, not just in the Bible, but in all of literature. If you have your Bibles this morning with you, uh, we might want to turn to Acts chapter 27. We're going to be looking at this story today. We've been in Acts now for all several months as we are going through it. This week we have this lesson, and next week we finish the book of Acts after all this time. And uh, I think it's been great. But we end up here with a couple of great stories. Um, when we last, last left Paul, he was in Caesarea. He had traveled there, and he was under the protection of the Roman government because uh, the Jerusalem religious leaders were angry at him, and they wanted to kill him. That's how angry they were at him. Not just angry, but they were uh, threatening his life. In the past couple of years, we'd seen him uh, in the last couple of chapters go through appeal after appeal for his case, and he'd finally come to the conclusion that the only way to get his case heard was to go to Rome and to go before Caesar. And so he was loaded onto a vessel, and he began his journey uh, to Italy. Two other Christian friends were traveling with him, Luke, the person who wrote the book of Acts and records it, 
And also a person named Articus who was a good friend, somebody who hung with him through all the, all the stuff that had gone on in his life. It says also on the ship there were some other prisoners. Presumably, they were going to Rome to go into the, into the arena uh, because at that time Christians were being persecuted and uh, they were going there. And so the ship enjoyed smooth sailing uh, uh, until it reached the city of Sidon. And then it, uh, there they changed ships and were loaded into an Alexandrian grain ship. Now, this is interesting because it's important here because of the story, because it's a different type of ship. This Alexandrian grain ship were so large that they were cumbersome in the midst of waves. They weren't very good in storms. And uh, when they sailed south toward the island of Crete, they reached a place called Fair Haven. And it says in Scripture, and Fair Haven was not as the name implied. It sounds like a great place to visit, right, Fair Haven? Uh, it must have been made up. The name was made up by somebody from the uh, um, local bureau or something that wanted to you know, increase tourism or something because the issue was it wasn't Fairhaven at all because we read in Scripture that none of the sailors wanted to hang out there for the winter. They, they were so, and they knew that the winters, the, the winters in the Mediterranean at that time of year, there were st- tremendous storms, and it was very, you know, these boats were not that big, and there was a great uh, a possibility of losing your life. And so uh, they were there, and, and so they didn't want to stay there, though. They wanted to sail on to a port called Phoenix, not Phoenix, Arizona, but uh, Phoenix on the island of uh, Crete before winter hit. And they knew they couldn't make all the way to Italy before winter. So when a favorable wind begins to blow, what happens is they decide to take their chances. But Paul, who was an experienced seafarer himself, because we read now, we've been reading about Paul, he had actually already been on 12 voyages across the Mediterranean. He'd probably traveled somewhere around 3,500 miles in the Mediterranean. So he's a very experienced sailor. And he'd been through some tough times there. And so the thing is he tries to encourage them not to, uh, not to go anywhere and he, because he knew better of what happens when you try to sail in the winter in a small boat on the Mediterranean Sea. And as much as he would try to convince the sailors to go, to not go, they didn't listen to him. And so today we're looking at uh, this story. It begins in Acts 27, verse 14, and we're going to pick it up there. And we want to talk about what the story teaches us today about how to deal with the storms that we incur and encounter in life. It says in verse 14, Not long after this, a hurricane-forced wind called the Nor'easter uh, blew down from the island. And when the ship was caught in it, it could not head into the wind. We gave way into it and were driven along. Uh, they found themselves, in a sense, in the midst of a perfect storm. All the things came together to uh, force them in a different direction. Uh, there was this Mediterranean winter. There's this north, northeastern uh, wind. There's this cumbersome boat. There's impatient sailors. You put all those things together, and they put together the ingredients for a perfect storm. But it says then they did everything they could. After that, after they get into the midst of the storm, in verse 16, it says, As we ran under the lee of a small island called Calda, we were able with difficulty to get the ship's boats under control. After the crew had hoisted it aboard, they used supports to undergird the ships. They actually tried ropes all the way around the ship to keep it together. That's they were afraid that the ship was going to come apart. And uh, fearing they would run aground on Sirtis, on, on they lowered the sea anchor, thus letting themselves be driven along. Verse 18, the next day, because we were violently battered by the storm, they began throwing the cargo overboard. And on the third day, they threw the ship's gear overboard with their own hands. They were doing everything they can to lighten the load so the ship would survive this storm, this cumbersome ship with all these people. But nothing worked. Nothing worked in the midst of this violent storm. And so by the time you get to verse 20, it reads like a death sentence. 
In verse 20 it says this, When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, a violent storm continued to batter us. We finally abandoned all hope of being saved. Sounds like dire straits, right? Not a good place to be at this point. We read later in Scripture that this storm, they lasted in the midst of the storm for 14 days. I don't know if you've been on the, in the water for, I, I've not even been on the water for 14 minutes in a storm like that. But, you know, 14 days, they were in a small ship bouncing up and down and, and, and you know, waves crashing over them. And, and in the midst of this, they couldn't get out of it. It was kind of like caught in the storm, like in that, the movie. And it's uh, maybe not quite as violent as that, I, I can't imagine. But the issue was that they lost their hope and they finally uh, gave up. And this, is, this map shows, this next uh, slide. So this map shows where they went to. It shows here where they started in Caesarea. They go to Sidon. They go over to Myra and then to a place called it's C-N-I-D-U-S, Snidus. And then they come down to this island down here, uh, Crete, and they come to the place called Firehaven. Now, where they wanted to go, if you look on the map, is just a little bit further on that same island, the island of Phoenix. I mean, the city of Phoenix there. You see how far it is? It's only that far on the map. But what happens is they get caught in this storm, and the storm pushes them all the way across to Malta. They were in this storm for 14 days. It gives you an exact idea how out of control they were in the midst of this storm, this tremendous storm that happens, and they finally become shipwrecked on this island. Verse 21. Since many of them had no desire to eat because, you know, can you imagine bouncing up and down on the water for, for 14 days? You don't have a real great appetite probably. Uh, you're not really hungry, it says. But, he, but Paul knew something was ahead. They were going to have to have some energy. Paul stood up among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me. <laughs> I've heard that one before. And not put out the sea from Crete, thus avoiding this damage and loss. And now I advise you to keep up your courage, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only the ship will be lost. For last night an angel of God to whom I belonged and whom I serve came to me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar, and God has graciously granted you the safety of all who are sailing with you. Therefore keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will be just as I have been told. You know, what a contrast here. The the sailors are supposed to be men of courage. And they're just freaking out. And Paul... The, the preacher Paul, the, the rabbi Paul, he's the one that's giving encouragement here to these guys. What did Paul know that they didn't know? Well, and more importantly, what does Paul teach us that we need to know when we're facing the perfect storm, the nor'easters of our lives? What does it teach us here? I think he teaches us several things. Maybe you, like the sailor, have done everything you can. You're in the midst of a storm or you've been through a storm. You've done everything possible you can think of doing. You've tried every possible solution. You've consulted the bank. You've changed your diet. You've called the lawyer. You've spoken to your boss. You've, you've tightened your budget. You've gone for counseling. You've gone for rehab. You've gone for therapy. Yet the waves still bounce. And the wind still blows. Now, I'm wondering if God might have some advice for you. Would you be willing to receive the same advice that Paul gave to the sailors that came from God? So here it comes, verse 21. Let's go back to that again. Uh, first a rebuke. First a rebuke. These are the things we don't like, rebukes. Uh, verse 21, Paul says, Men, you should have listened to me. Uh, how many of you here like to be corrected? Yeah, I didn't think anybody would raise their hand on that one. Even when we know we're wrong, we don't like to be corrected, do we? 
You know, somebody say, I told you so. You shouldn't have done that. See, but we ignore God. But but sometimes what we do is we ignore God. and, and, And when we ignore God, a scolding is in order. I mean... Some of you are in the midst of storms you, you did not create, okay? I understand that. Not all storms are cr- storms of your own creation. So this really doesn't apply to you. But for others of us, we find ourselves in the middle of storms we did create. If only we had paid attention. You know, part of God's healing for us is rebuke. He's saying, hey, listen to me. To acknowledge what we did was wrong. He told us this would happen, and then we go off, go off and do it anyway, and then God says, I told you that would happen. He doesn't do it to belittle us, but he does it in a fatherly fashion. A fatherly fashion of God, a father who cares. Just like a father disciplines his child. I mean, God says to us things like, oh, you know, he told us that sex outside of marriage would result in chaos, but we don't listen. He told us that the borrower is a slave to the lender, but we take on dangerous debt. He told us to cherish our spouse and to nourish our kids, but you cherish your career and you nourish your vices. He, he tells us, he cautioned you about strong drink, about the wrong crowd, about the long hours, and now you're in the midst of a storm of your own making, and God brings to you and says to you, I told you so, you need to do this. You need to listen to me. I love Revelation 3.19, which says this. God says to us, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. Stand corrected and learn from it. That's what we need to learn. See, the only real mistake in life is the mistake from which we learn nothing. We're all going to make mistakes. But the only real mistake in life is the mistake from which we learn nothing. That's what Paul's saying. He, say, he says, here's the rebuke. So, but he follows the, the words of rebuke with words of affirmation and encouragement. He gives three different things he says that are encouraging words here. First of all this, you're not alone. You're not alone. He says this in verse 23. He says, for last night an angel to God, of God came to me. You know, this is not the first time. Remember in the study of Acts already? This is not the first time that an angel, a messenger from God, has come to Paul and encouraged him. At least two or three other times in Scripture, we see where Paul's been encouraged by saying, hey, this is going to happen to you, but this is going to happen to you. You're going to go to Rome. You're going to do this. You have a purpose. You know, it'd be great if uh, if we had this kind of you know life laid out, but the thing is, is that we're not alone. We have God's Word that tells us we're never alone. In Hebrews 13, 5, it says this, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's just one of multitudes of times in Scripture that Scripture confirms that God doesn't leave us. For the person who trusted their placed their faith in Christ, God is there with you. You may not see Him. You may not feel His presence. But it's not God that's distant. So the first reason He says you can, will survive the storm for those who trust Christ, number one, is you're not alone. Number two, He says, you belong to God. You belong to God. In Acts 23, uh, 27, 23, it says that same verse. For an angel, last night an angel of the God, and it says this, To whom I belong, to whom I belong came to me. The Bible says we have been bought with a price. It means that God has paid the penalty for our sin. We know that upon the cross. And because of that, we are bought with a price. 
It's interesting this summer. How many of you got kids that are going to some kind of camp? Any kind of camp this summer? Anybody here? I knew a bunch of you did. You had to fill out a register. I guarantee you had to fill out some kind of form and you had to fill out a waiver form that says, I am the responsible party, right? If your kids go to camp, it means Johnny or Susie goes to camp and does something dumb. (laughs) The camp's not responsible. You are, right? And you're willing to sign that. Why? Because you're their parent. You're the responsible party. See, when you give your life to Christ, when you give your heart to Christ, it's as if he signs on the dotted line. I'm the responsible party. You belong to me. That makes sense? I heard it somewhere else. I didn't make that one up, so I thought that was really good, you know. And I'm going like, i got to use that. You belong to him. I love it. It says in Galatians 4, 7. It says, it taught our relationship to God. You're no longer slaves. You're God's children. And you will be given what he has promised. God promises us to be with us. That you belong to him. That you're safe in his arms. That's another reason you can be sure you can survive this storm. Not because you're strong, but because God is. Because you belong to him. It's not about how, you know, tough you are. The third reason it says in Scripture that, that, uh, that we can survive this storm is because we're in God's service. We're in God's service. It says in verse 23 again, it says, For last night an angel of the Lord, of the God to whom I belong and to whom I serve, came to me. Now, remember Paul had this clear mission from God. What was he to do? Where was, eventually was he to go? We've, we've studied this about 50 times. Rome. Eventually where he was going to go is Rome. He was going to plant churches all over the place. And eventually it says, and the angel had come to him twice, at least twice before, and said, you're going to Rome. Now, wouldn't it be nice if God gave us that clear of itinerary? I wish he would give me that kind of a clear itinerary. You know, John, you're going to this place. And Bill, you're going to this place. You know, and Carl, you're going to this place. Whatever, you know. It'd be great, right? It'd be kind of freaky to know where you're going to go. And the thing is, you don't know how you're going to get there. Paul didn't know how he was going to get there. He thought he was going to take a luxury. I'm sure he thought he was going to take a nice Mediterranean cruise, go across, go to Rome, hang out there, plant some churches. Didn't happen that way. God had a plan for his life. See, he was in God's service. He understood that God had a bigger purpose for his life. And that's what it's talking about here. You know, in Psalm 139, 16, I love that chapter. Chapter Psalm 139 is one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture. It says this, verse 16, But with your eyes, with your own eyes, you saw my body being formed. Even before I was born, you had written in your book everything about me. God knows us. Now, how God knows what we're going to do but doesn't make us do it, I don't know how that works, okay? Don't ask me. How can God know all things but not make all things happen and still give us free choice? I don't know how that works. It just does because it's God thing. But the issue about it is this. We sit around all the time when we constantly worry about life. We worry about, you know, lengthening our life and, and how many days we live. See, and sometimes I've heard people say, well, they live such a short life. Their life was, was cut short. You ever heard that phrase? No life is too long or too short. Because what we could be, should be concerned about is this. We should be concerned with filling your day with life, not filling your life with days.
You will survive this storm, no matter what it is, if you're in Christ. I'm not saying you will not have any problems in the storm. Paul doesn't say that. Paul doesn't say, you know, you know if you, you survive the storm and everything's going to be just wonderful, hunky-dory. That's a phrase I used to use. I don't know if you guys use that or not. I know I'm from Virginia, and I use different phrases sometimes. And somebody has, sometimes I translate, okay? Uh, bad students, thank you for being here. Sometimes, I'm not from this area of the country, and people speak differently here than I do sometimes. So I have to tell people what I mean, you know, like y'all. Y'all. It's, it's a very perfect way to say things. But anyway... Um, I think it's very warming, you know, whatever. Um, you'll survive this storm. You know, Paul didn't say you won't have any problems. He said you'll survive, but you won't have any. He says in verse 25 and 26, he's, I think it's interesting what he says. Verse 25 and 26, he says this. Therefore, he says, after he tells them you're going to survive the storm, these are the encouragements. Then he says, verse 25, therefore. I hate when there's therefores, don't you? Or, or buts, you know. Therefore, keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will be just as I've been told. Oh, but by the way, we must run aground on some island. Then he say what it is. Paul says, we're going to make it through this, but first we're going to wreck the ship. We got another disaster coming. You know, and I'm sure all the guys at that point, I don't know if everybody on the ship knew how to swim. Can you imagine those guys? Probably freaking out at this point. So please hear what I'm trying to say. You must, you will survive this storm, but you may have to go through a job dismissal first. You, you may have to lose some health first. You may run out of money first. That's what, it's, that's what it says in Scripture. There may be some challenges on the road, but don't be discouraged. I love John 16:33 says this, I have told you these things so that you, all the things in Scripture, so that you may have peace. In this world, you will have what? Trouble and suffering, but take courage. This is part of being in the world. I have conquered the world. Ultimately, guys, you're going to survive the storm one way or another. See, this life comes with storms. But they will not last forever. And Jesus is the chief commander of the storm. And because you belong to him, you will survive the storm if, you're, if you trust him. But. But. What if you don't belong to him? You make a choice about whether you belong to God or not. Yeah, he created all things. What if you've never called on Christ to be your Savior? I hate to tell you this, but if that's the case, you have reason to be afraid. I know it says in Romans 8.28, it says these words. It says, And we know that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to His purpose. But what if you're not trying to follow His purpose? And what if you do not love him? Then when you face the storms of life, you have reason to be afraid. Because you're, not, you're, facing, because you're facing the storm all by yourself. And without his help, without his protection, he's just trying to get your attention. And saying, hey, I want you to trust me. I want you to be my child. I want you to... To place your faith and your trust in me. 
I would dare say that all of us are going to face some storms in life if we've not already done so. A little over 10 years ago, when I first came to Great Oaks, 10 years ago today, I came to Great Oaks. And I just experienced some storms in my life just a few months before that. And it wasn't a storm of my own making. Well, maybe it was. You know, we never want to say that we're, we're the problem. <laughs> but I'd gone through a struggle of trying to say, hey, I've been a leader of the church for 13 years in Virginia. And I came to a place in my life where I said, you know, God, I, I just can't keep doing it this way. And I said, if I have to keep doing what I'm doing now, I, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to work in churches anymore. I'd come to that point in my life. It was a horrible time. About a year before I came to Great Oaks. And then I began to pray and seek God's heart. And, and in the midst of that storm that I was going through, God said to me clearly, I didn't hear a voice just in Scripture because then one of the things we have, we have Scripture. Paul didn't have Scripture. He knew a few things, but we have Scripture that tells us things over and over and over again. That's why it's so important to know this book. That's why this fall, we're going to start in, in Genesis and go through maps. <laughs> you don't understand that. All the Bibles have maps at the end. But anyway... <laughs> That was just a joke. It's a preacher joke. It's a bad one, too. But the issue, we're going through Revelation. Anyway, we're going to do a thing called the story. For 31 weeks, we're going to take you through the whole of Scripture to understand it. And we're going to take bits and pieces. And by the end of the story, over 31 weeks, you will understand how Scripture fits together. How this is a story of God. But as I was reading Scripture, I understood something clearly. And the Scripture was this, is that God had a purpose and a plan for my life that was bigger than the problems I was going through. And he began to open doors. And I didn't even plan on coming to Great Oaks on July 1st, 2002. I was supposed to come two weeks later. I was supposed to have two weeks of vacation. But in God's providence, uh, someone in the church died. And I was asked to come and do a funeral. My first, my first official thing at Great Oaks was a funeral. And the amazing thing is that Great Oaks, over the last ten years... I've done so few funerals, it's been amazing. My last church, I did 270 funerals in 13 years. Here, I mean, I, was, I don't know how many, 30 in 10 years. You guys are so young, you never die. <laughs> but the issue is, is that God has a plan and purpose. And I want to tell you this morning, if you don't know him, all of that can change today. All of that can change today. If you can simply say to him, I'm going to let you be the captain of my ship. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to ask you to save me from my sin. I'm going to ask you to protect me from the, the fear of death. I'm going to ask you to protect me for the remainder of my life and, and take me and, and help me to have eternal life. The only thing that you know, we can't do it ourselves, for which God has been preparing us. He has a purpose and a plan for every one of our lives. We just have to choose him and choose his plan. So when we encounter the storms of life, those storms won't be so scary. Oh, they'll still happen. Just because you're Christian doesn't mean you don't go through storms. But it means you have resources beyond yourself to deal with the storms. I would invite you today, if you've never made that decision to follow him, that following the prayer in just a moment, as the, as the band plays a song and sings, we're going to have the prayer room open over here. And there'll be people who can be over there to sit down and talk to you about what is the next step you need to take in your relationship with God. You don't have to go through the storms. 
on your own. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for the fact that you love us. You love us so much, God, that in spite of the fact that you could make us do what you wanted us to do, you don't do that. You give us choices. You give us options. True love is never coerced. It's never, it's never forced upon people. It's something we choose. And God, you know, as much sometimes as I'd love to, to as my kids were growing up, make them do things or, you know, or, or other people I see just, just make, messing up their life, making it, I, I don't have the power to do that, but God, you do. You have the pro- power to do anything. But you choose, God, to give us freedom to make the choice to follow you. Yes, God, you have a plan and a purpose for our lives that's bigger than us. And so, God, help us not to sit around and worry about filling up our life with days. But help us to think about how we can fill up our days with life. A life that's lived for you, a life that has purpose, that has meaning beyond just going to work, making money, buying stuff, and doing it all over again. There has to be more than that. Because <laughs> we live in an area where, man, we got lots of stuff. But there's a lot of miserable people sometimes, God. It only buys temporary happiness, not eternal joy. So we would pray today, God, that if there's someone here who's going through a storm, that they, and if they're already a believer, God, that they would have encouragement from this message, from you, from what Paul said. For the person who does not follow you and does not know you, God, that they would be someone who would, who would, in a real sense, would understand that they need to take a next step. And that next step with you is just to say, yes, I want to know what it means to follow Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and I want to take the next step there. We would pray, God, that they would have the courage to walk over to the prayer room and to, and to talk to someone about that next step. Thank you, God, for your encouragement through this scripture today as we go through the storms of life. That we know that we're not alone, that we belong to you, and that we have a greater purpose in our lives than just, just existing. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.